Chris Truss. I decided a while ago, I think God is calling me to the Netherlands. I, uh, Brother Colton brought some food from uh, Dutch Delicious. How many of you got some of that with the potatoes and sauerkraut and sausage? And then he gave me some coffee candy a while ago. I think I pretty well signed up. I'm, send me to the Netherlands. I'm ready to go. And uh, praise the Lord. And uh, Brother Colton, as I mentioned this morning, uh, a month from now, the first Sunday of April, uh, during the 2 o'clock service, Brother Colton is going to be sharing some pictures and video and uh, talking about their trip and sharing some things with you about that, some answers and things they figured out uh, while they were there. So looking forward to that. But I appreciate Brother Colton and Ms. B. Glad to have them back. And uh, take your Bibles and turn to John 4. John 4. I, without question, this passage in the Gospels is my favorite, uh, my favorite interaction that Jesus has with a, with a lost person. I, I, love, I love the story of Jesus as he ministers to uh, the woman at the well. What a powerful passage. And we've been looking for the last many, many Sunday afternoons uh, at great soul winners of the Bible, and tonight we look at the greatest, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost. And here we have a bird's eye view through the Gospels of Jesus as he is doing exactly what he came to do, seeking to save that which is lost. And I, it's a bit of a, a lengthy passage, but I want you to Follow along with me. I, I want us to look in the scriptures, and I believe the Bible is very lays out this passage so beautifully. I want you to follow along with me, and we're going to read starting in verse 1, and I'll probably read down to verse 42. We may skip a little bit, but I want you to see this passage in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and notice in verse 4, and must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the wall, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest the drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thine husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the day when I tasted of that living water. The day that I called upon you as my Savior. The day that I believed and understood the gospel. Lord, I pray if there be one here tonight that knows you not a Savior. Lord, I pray they would understand the Bible is true when it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, may they understand plainly tonight that the punishment for sin on every person is damnation of hell. And Lord, may we understand this evening, anyone here that does not know you, that there is nothing they can do, no good work that they can offer. Lord, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Lord, I pray that they would come believing tonight. And Lord, I pray for believers as we gather here this afternoon service. Lord, as we focus this morning on our victory in Christ and victory over the culture. Lord, I pray that we would realize that our job as we are in this world is not to be of the world, but Lord, to be the salt and the light for the world. But Lord, we're to be a witness. We're to be affecting eternity. We're to be sharing Christ with those that we come in contact with. And Lord, tonight during this time, would you help us as we examine Christ, our model, our pattern, the greatest soul winner, Jesus Christ. Lord, help me tonight. Lord, to preach. Lord, you're perfect and you're holy and your word is perfect. But Lord, I'm imperfect. Lord, I pray you'd help an imperfect man preach a perfect word this evening. Lord, I know it's possible by your Holy Spirit that liveth in me. Lord, I pray you'd empower me and embolden me. Lord, would you use my words as you speak your word to the heart of every believer. Help us, Lord. We pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the personification of a soul winner. Uh, his teachings during his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to be soul winners. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the passage that we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, very plainly, we have the plan of God. Uh, he was the master soul winner. He said to Peter, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He taught other men how to fish for men. He was a seeker of souls. We're to follow his example. As he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, those words apply to you and me as much as they applied to Peter. You see, it wasn't, I don't believe, as much Peter walking after Jesus Christ as it was Peter following and doing what Jesus did. And you and I can follow Christ. We can follow him and what he did. We can become fishers of men as we follow uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in 1 Peter, if you want to turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21. 1 Peter 2, 21, For even here in 2 were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. Notice this, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. I want to share an illustration from this past fall, and then I want us to look back to our passage. And I shared a little of this illustration before, but I share it again to, to help us to understand what we're looking at tonight. I, I told the story jokingly of Brother Maud and I hunting this year, and Brother Maud told me he hit the deer, and I called him a liar because, you know, he's a liar. And I said, you did not hit the deer. You know what you're talking about. You can't even hit the broadside of a barn. Some discussion like that might have happened. And finally realized, oh, he was shooting at the little deer, and I was watching the big deer because, you know, I like big deer. Brother Maud likes little ones. And finally realized, oh, he's not a liar this time. He actually hit the deer. Now we have to find it. And so it wasn't easy to find. So we had to look for sign of where it went. And I was looking for blood. You know, if you shoot a deer, normally, you know, uh, I hate to, to burst your bubble, but it requires some bleeding. And I was looking for the spore of, of blood, but it got to the point where that wasn't available. <laughs> and I was literally looking for footsteps, like, like hoof prints in the grass and the dirt. And we were looking and looking and looking. I think it was like three years. We were wandering the wilderness like Moses, looking, trying to find, like, where did this deer go? And I finally said to Amad, I said, I'm going to go one more time. I'm going to do one more circle and see if I can cut the path, if I can find where it went. If we don't find it this time, we're not going to find it. And miraculously, the Lord allowed me to walk over and see it and find it. But we were looking for the steps. We, at one point, we went this way, and I, no, that's not it. We came back, and oh, no, it, we saw it went this way, so we went that direction. But we were trying to follow the path. Tonight, if we're to be the kind of soul winners we ought to be, we need to follow the path that Jesus left. We need to follow his steps. God doesn't need us to blaze a new trail. God is not looking for us to start a new way or a new fad or a new plan. 
We need to follow his steps. And I believe we have very plainly, and I, I, I love this passage in John 4. Uh, we see some methods here. The Bible says that Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, as a young boy of 12 years old, he said to Mary and Joseph, Wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. You understand culturally at the time, at 12 years old, a young Hebrew boy, a Jewish boy, was told at the age of 12, this is going to be your life. Dad would set him down and say, okay, this is as Peter's dad would have done with him. Peter's dad would have set him down and said, okay, Peter, I, we're, we're fishermen. You're 12 years old now. You're, you're, going to, you're becoming a man in our culture. You're going to be a fisherman. There's a reason Peter and James and John were fishermen because in the culture at 12 years old, they had been told, look, this is, this is your life. My dad's a fisherman. I'm going to be a fisherman at 12. You're going to be a fisherman. Jesus said at 12 years old, wish you not, I must be about my father's business. He wasn't talking about Joseph, his stepfather. He was talking about his heavenly father. His business, what is the business of God? What is his father's business? He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So if we are going to trace the steps and follow very carefully the steps of Jesus here in this passage, we're going to follow the steps of his father's business. As we see the woman at the well here, we could uh, see a few more verses, but I want to see some things. Our, our method uh, and approach to a soul and sharing the gospel, uh, the person, the time, the place, the circumstances, will all vary. I'll never forget one of the funniest times I ever shared the gospel in my life. I was in a grocery store in Kroger, Kroger uh, grocery store in uh, Belpre, Ohio. And I was in a cereal aisle. This has been 20, 21 years ago. And I was picking up groceries. And there was an older gentleman. He was, I would say, at least 90, 85, 90 years old. He was humpbacked and short, stoop-shouldered and could barely get around. He was on a cane and he was looking at the boxes of cereal and he took a box of cereal and held it up to his, real close to his eyes. And I, I said to him, I said, sir, I said, can I help you? I said, if you're looking for something, I said, let me help. I, I, was, I was young back then. I, I could help somebody. Now I need help myself. And I said, can I help you get something? I said, what are you looking for? And this older gentleman looked at me, and he said, Son, he said, I'm looking for the cereal that will help me live the longest. And he was, he was reading ingredients, and he was trying to decide which box of cereal was the healthiest box of cereal. And he said, I'm trying to find the box of cereal that will help me live the longest. I looked at him, and I said, Sir, I said, are you afraid to die? And he said, you better believe it. He said, I'm terrified of dying. And there in the cereal aisle at Kroger's in Belpre, Ohio, I said, man, I said, I said, I don't know which one of these cereals is best for you. I said, but I can tell you how you don't have to be afraid of dying. Right. About a half an hour, I found a place for him to sit down, and we sat down, and I opened my Bible. Now, this is the southern U.S., so nobody looked at us like it was too odd, uh, but I shared the gospel with that elderly gentleman, and he trusted Christ. Amen. Now, that's only happened to me once in my life. <laughs> I've never won anybody to Christ in a cereal aisle except one guy. 
every situation and every person we encounter is different, but I believe we can see the steps of Jesus here and learn some things in this passage uh, that will help us. Number one, very practical points here. Number one, Jesus showed a very great interest and concern for one person. If you look in your Bibles, you'll find that Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. Our Lord set out to win one. To win one. Jesus frequently had audiences of thousands. You look in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus preached, and there were hundreds or thousands of people. Two different times, Jesus fed thousands that had come to hear him preach. I mean, people wanted to hear him. I, those of you that are following our Bible reading schedule, uh, as, you, as you just read the end of the book of Luke, or book of Mark, it, it tells us that whenever uh, that Herod, Herod was, he was anxious to meet Jesus. He wanted, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted, man, I'm excited. I want to see something happen. Jesus, do something. People wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus. He had crowds following him. But Jesus showed a great interest in one person. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands tonight, but I wonder how many of us, and probably most of us, would say that we came to Christ because somebody took an interest in us alone. Now, it may be that you got saved, someone was preaching, and there were hundreds of people there, but for most of us, most of us came to Christ because somebody took an interest in just us, just, just one person. In Matthew's Gospel, if you look, you'll find that there are 16 private interviews of Jesus Christ between 16 people, 16 different people that Jesus talked with one-on-one. Now, we know the Bible says that if all the things were written, the books couldn't contain all that Jesus did. But just that recorded in Matthew's gospel, there's 16 private times that Jesus talked to people. In the gospel of John, there's 17. 17 times that Jesus talked to someone one-on-one. In Luke chapter 15, we read of one lost sheep, one lost piece of silver. One lost son. Mark chapter 8 emphasizes the importance of just one soul. Just one soul. Christian, if we're to be soul winners and follow the steps and course of Jesus Christ, we need to have a great interest just in one soul. In one soul. We, as we seek to share Christ, remember that the outstanding soul winner, Jesus Christ, we see in verse 28 and verse 30 of our passage, that woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. And they went out of the city and they came to him. Why did they come to Jesus? Because Jesus meant one. You know what we do? We, we look at the world. We look at the population of the world and we go, man, we can't reach the world. I mean, billions of people? We barely understand the term millions. Uh, we, we have a hard time with thousands. And yet there are billions of people in the world and we go, we can never reach billions. But God calls you to reach one. 
And God calls us to reach another one. I remember it was May, May 3rd, I think. I've got a little picture album back in my office. Sometimes stop in and I'll show it to you if you want to see it. We, I had the privilege of preaching seven times in a, a community hall in Chicago, right near the Robert Taylor Homes of Chicago Government Housing Project. We ran buses and brought groups of people in every hour or every 45 minutes. And uh, I got I to gotta preach the gospel seven times that day as we're trying to see hundreds saved. And I remember as we were nearing the end of the day, the time we had to minister, I remember my wife will remember she was there. I was going around to every person. And I kept saying the same thing over and over again. We got to find one more. Just one more. Hey, we got to find one more. Before that day was over, 300 and some people came to Christ in that little community hall in Chicago because we were just seeking for one. Christian Jesus Christ took an interest, a great interest and concern in one person. If you're going to be the kind of soul winner that you need to be to follow the pattern of Christ and follow his steps, we have to take an interest in somebody. We have to care about their soul. When's the last time you, you cared about someone's soul? Number two, Jesus went out of his way to win one soul. He went out of his way to win one soul. How many of you have ever been to Mama's in the Kitchen? It's a restaurant in Alberta Beach. How many of you have been there? If you haven't been there, take this as a recommendation. Go there. Go very hungry, very, very hungry. I'll tell you how big the food, how big the serving size is. My wife and I have gone there before and bought one meal and shared it. Phenomenal food. I like the, by the way, if you want a recommendation, Salisbury steak meal is wonderful. The, the, the liver and onions is wonderful. Uh, the fish and chips, the pieces of fish and the fish and chips are that big. They're big as my arm. Uh, it's a great place. Years, a few years ago, Carrie and I were in, down in Calgary, and we had to go from Calgary to our house on the northeast side of the city. So we went through Alberta Beach to get home. Now, if you know, those of you that are laughing, you know, you know geography in Alberta. The rest of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Alberta Beach is north of Highway 16, almost as far west as Wobbeman. And uh, we went from Calgary to there to get home. Now, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't because I got lost because I'm a man, and man, men never get lost. Now, we may not always know where we are, but we are never lost. And we're exactly wherever we are. But I, I, I didn't get lost. I went through Alberta Beach to get home because we had a mission. I was going to take my wife to Mama's in the Kitchen. And we went there and ate, and then we went home from Calgary to Alberta Beach to northeast Edmonton. It was on purpose. We just didn't accidentally go, we're mamas in the kitchen. Nobody accidentally gets there. Uh, you have to go on purpose. you got to go all the way to Alberta Beach. Can I tell you that Jesus went out of his way on person to win someone to himself? The Bible said Jesus told the disciples, we must needs go through. We must needs go through Samaria. 
in verse 4. I wasn't there. The Bible doesn't record anything else. But how many of you, like me, sometimes try to fill in the blanks that the Bible doesn't tell you about? You ever do that? I imagine when Jesus said we must needs go through Samaria, I envision Peter going, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to go there. I envision James and John saying, Lord, I, I think it would be better, you know, if we go around like every other good Jew does. We don't want to go there. I mean, that's a bad part of town. The first time I went to New York City, I was on my senior trip in high school, and we took a wrong turn when we first got to New York City. Brother Colton spent some time there. Uh, Josh was in New York City. The very first time we took, went to New York City, we took a wrong turn and ended up in Harlem. Did you ever go to Harlem while you were there? Yeah, and you survived. Uh, we went there, and we're like, oh, we're in the wrong place. Brother Colton, you didn't go to Harlem? You avoided Harlem. I wonder why. Uh, we got there and went, oh, 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 we're in the wrong place. Uh, we, we, we took a wrong turn. We didn't have a GPS back then, and we're, our driver like, go, 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 go. We're not in a good place. We, we weren't where we wanted to be. Jesus went to a place that the disciples would have said, oh, no, no, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. But Jesus went on purpose because there was somebody that needed to hear the gospel. Can I tell you, we have to go on purpose. We're not accidentally going to lead people to Jesus Christ. We're going to have to have some purpose, some direction. Too often we're so preoccupied with our affairs and the things of our life that we forget. We don't pay attention. I'm looking around to see if he's still here this, tonight. Uh, Brother James was telling me uh, today, uh, he said, Pastor, a few weeks ago when you talked about the people that give out gospel tracts or the people that carry gospel tracts, he said, I'm like, yep, you were right. He told me this week he finally remembered to carry a gospel tract and he gave a gospel tract to a friend of his, a guy who's dying of cancer. But you know, it's true, we only give out gospel tracts if we plan to have them with us and give out gospel tracts. We only share Christ if we plan on doing so. But Jesus went out of his way to reach one soul. By the way, he did more than that. He left heaven and came to earth for you and for me. He, may we take advantage of the opportunities God gives us. How many of you like eating chicken? I love chicken. Chicken is wonderful and glorious. Uh, that's how I knew I was supposed to be a Baptist preacher, because I love chicken. But I was, uh, I was by Elizabeth's house yesterday. I stopped off for Brother Mark to drop something off, and then I picked Elizabeth up. And as I was turning down the street, Brother Maude, there were grouse. And I looked at Lizzie. I said, man, those are delicious. I almost got out of my... Herman, I almost got out of the car and chased him. Uh, but if I'm out hunting and I see a grouse... Hunting stops. Brother Maude, he'll, he'll stop anything to go kill a grouse because they're delicious. Uh, man, pff, that, that's all that matters. You've got to get that grouse. I wish we were that way with the souls of men. I wish we were like Jesus where whatever's going on in our life, if there's an opportunity to share Christ, that's all that mattered. But Jesus went out of his way to win one soul. Number three, Jesus worked under a strong sense of urgency and constraint. That verse in verse 4 says more than, you know, I want to go through Samaria. He said we must needs go through. There was the urgency. 
Uh, we have to go. There's a soul there. Uh, it was imperative. His food, the Bible says, was to do the will of him that sent him. And it was his father's will. What constrains you? What is the constraint in our life? In the book of Romans, in chapter 9, it says, I say the truth in Christ, lie not, my conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do we have an, an urgency? Is there an urgency about it? Last night, my wife made me a cup of tea. It was a wonderful cup of tea. And I was relaxing on the couch. And my wife brought me a cup of tea. She's a good woman. And best wife I have. And I had the cup of tea, and I'm pretty clumsy. Did you know that? I, how many knew I was clumsy? I was a little clumsy. And the tea was almost boiling. And as I was trying to situate myself, I spilt the tea right here on my shirt. And Elizabeth was there. She heard it. I yelped. I didn't say, oh, I should probably get my shirt off at some point. I should probably get some ice on my chest. Maybe in a few minutes I'll do No. Ah! And I'm screaming and taking my shirt off and I'm trying to get some, something cold on myself and I'm ex I've, I've burned a hole clear through my ribs and I'm missing ribs now and uh, part of my liver is gone and it hurt. It was very, the most urgent thing in all the world at that moment was getting something cold on me. It, it mattered. It had to happen right now. Nothing else mattered to me. We need to have the urgency. And the constraint to realize that people are dying and going to a devil's hell. And we've got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them. It's got to be us. Jesus here was under the constraint. Number four, Jesus was friendly. By the way, he didn't go up and say, you dirty, filthy. You, you filled in the word in your own mind, but that's not what Jesus said. That's the way we think Jesus would be. I mean, because remember, he knew everything about her. He didn't say, you cast out a society for being so vile. And No, he was friendly. He was engaging. And I, I believe sympathetic in his approach to her. He said, you're thirsty. And I can give you living water. You never thirst again. Jesus knew how empty she was. She knew, he knew that all she had gone through had brought her to... No satisfaction. Jesus didn't act self-important. Can I remind you who Jesus was? God. And yet he didn't act self-important when he was talking to the woman at the well. He was the dignity of the Lord, yet he didn't act that way. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Jesus was friendly and engaging, sympathetic in his approach. We fail. We fail to follow the steps of Jesus, and we, we go off on a course that Jesus never walked on. When we try to approach people as, hey, I'm better than you. You better listen to me, and you're an idiot, and if you don't listen to me, then just go to hell then. 
That's not, that's not the way Jesus approached this woman. And yet we think we're, we're I'm, I'm, but I'm a better soul winner than Jesus. No, we're idiots. We're self-righteous, pharisaical idiots. Jesus here approached her. He, he met her where she was. We, we can't find a better illustration of someone being met with the gospel, with the Lord meeting as the world says, ah, she's just a wicked woman. And yet Jesus met her beautifully with the gospel. Luke 10, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow he departed and took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, that whosoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of the three thinkest thou, Jesus said, was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do thou likewise. Christian, go do likewise. Pastor Rice, go do likewise. We need to go and meet people and love people where they are and approach them and engage them with the gospel. What a beautiful picture. I'm sure glad that that woman could receive the gospel. You know why? Because, because she got saved, I could get saved. Because her sin did not keep her from understanding the, the openness of the gospel. My sin could not keep me. I, I could meet Jesus the same way she met him. Number five, and, and this, this is vital. I, we miss this so often, and I shared the story of the cereal aisle a little while ago uh, to try to bridge this point just a bit. He allowed life's ordinary happenings and circumstances to provide opportunities for personal soul winning. Why was Jesus at the well? He, he, now, we know he, had, he said, I've got to go through Samaria. There's a purpose. But what does the Bible say? He was there because he was tired and thirsty, right? He was at the well because he needed water. It was a long journey. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was just, I've got to get a drink. He was in line, if you will, at the fast food restaurant. Uh, he was in line at Tim Hortons. Uh, he was there to get a drink. And that's where he met the woman at the well. Christian, I believe we should go out on purpose to share Christ, but I believe that when God gives us opportunities in our daily life, we ought to take it wherever it comes. It doesn't matter if it's at a gas station or a grocery store or a restaurant or in an alley or waiting at the doctor's office. I've had the chance to share Christ in all those places and many more odd ones than that. I remember one time we were trying to help a, help a guy stuck on the side of the road out hunting, and God gave opportunity to share Christ. God will give you opportunities wherever you go. And Jesus allowed life's ordinary happenings of life to give him opportunity. Christian, God gives us opportunities, and we miss it. We miss it. In verse 6, it says, now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied in his journey, saddled us in the well. He was tired. He sat down. He was weary. Why? He was flesh. He was the God-man. 
And yet he took that time. It, it could have been a time for relaxation. It could have been a time where he said, hey, 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 don't bother me. I'm just really tired right now. I need to rest. But he turned it into an advantage. So often we, in situations like Jesus was in, man, I'm so tired. I wish I wouldn't have went on the journey. <laughs> when sometimes we go on the journey because God wants our path to cross. And he wants us to meet that one that needs the gospel. Uh, God gives us that journey on purpose. Number six, verse seven, if you look there with me, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, give me a drink. Number seven, he asked a favor of the one whom he would win. Most of you don't know the name Earl Jessup, and I'm sorry that you don't never got to meet Brother Jessup. Many of you, some of you do know the name. Brother Earl Jessup was a dear friend of mine. My girls called him Uncle Preacher. He's been in heaven a long time. Dr. J Brother Jessup taught me something. He's a fellow West Virginia hillbilly. God would have him in Pickle Lake, pastoring for many years. And then church planting ministry for decades. He taught me a principle he, calls, he called the cookie principle. Now this isn't real deep. Remember, this is the hillbilly that told me this. And he says the cookie principle. He said when he was in church planning, he was inviting folks to come to church and folks that were lost, he, would, he said often, he said, when I invited someone to come, if they told me they would come, I would say to them, hey, would it be okay, could you bring some cookies when you come? And I'm like, why? He said, I call it the cookie principle. He said, I always ask them for something small, and then they feel a little bit obligated. I told him I'd come. He asked me to bring cookies. I have to come. And it's a great, uh, great way of getting folks to come and follow through on their word. But we see a little bit of that principle here with Jesus. He asked, before he shared with her the gospel, he said, hey, would you give me a drink of water? That's pretty simple. Pretty simple. He gave her an opportunity to do something for him. Now, she could do nothing for her salvation, but it was a connection. Some of us, because we're so tied in the digital world, we have a hard time connecting with people. Your personal skills in our, in our culture today, our personal skills, are, they're disappearing quickly. But if we're going to connect with people, we've got to connect with people. And I see Jesus here as he, he asked a question. I, I really think he was just connecting with her. Like, where was she? She was at the well. What is she doing? She's drawing water. Hey, can you, can you allow me to be in this part of your life for just a few moments? And Jesus just wanted to be invited into that part of her life so we could share with her the gospel, not so we could get something. And Christian, we need to realize the importance of connecting with people. Uh, of, of meeting people and, and trying to make that connection with people. Verse number 8, the Bible says in verse 8, for his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. And, and I'm going to give you number 7 here, then, then bear with me just a moment, let me explain it. Number 7, he spoke to her alone. He spoke to her alone. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that he got her aside and in a private area and just him and this woman. 
But when I said he spoke to her alone, he didn't confront her about her sin and bring up her past in front of the disciples. Now, he was in a public place. He was at the well. He wasn't, uh, I don't believe it was a, a wrong situation with Jesus talking with her. I'm not trying to say he, he got her alone privately. But he didn't try to embarrass her in front of the disciples. He didn't try to pressure her with other people. He wanted her to confront her sin. And she, she had to do that. Uh, when you share the gospel with someone, make sure that your conversation is with them. That you're not trying to impress somebody or, or show somebody something. That you're, you're getting to the issue for them. And by the way, Jesus brought up her sin. Salvation is by grace through faith. It was simply by believing alone, but Jesus had to bring her to a place where she realized she needed a Savior. She was lost. She was a sinner. And by the way, she had some ugly sin, just like you have some ugly sin. And by the way, her sin was just as ugly to her as your sin is to you. And Jesus brought it up. But he didn't bring it up and say, hey, everybody, look at her sin. Now, everybody may have known it. I understand the culture. They knew who she was. But Jesus didn't drag her in front of everybody else. He confronted her by herself. I believe that's a very wise thing. Number eight, and this is, this is some, some helpful stuff. I, I think this will help you. Number eight, Jesus overcame the barriers that she put up and barriers that already existed to get the gospel to her. When you go to share Christ with others, you're going to find out there's a lot of barriers. Brother Milton will tell you we had a lot of barriers yesterday. I had some closed doors and some cold weather and people looking at me like I was a psychopath, and I was. And, and you're always going to have that as you try to share the gospel. There's always going to be obstacles along the way. Can I tell you the number one obstacle is the obstacle of sin, the barrier of sin, letter A. Verse 16 through 18, and, and Jesus went there. And Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and the one whom thou now hast is not thine husband. Thou says truly. Can I tell you, this is a woman who lived a sinful life. And Jesus got her to confront it. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't say, oh, let's just not talk about it. He dealt with the obstacle and the barrier of sin. She came to draw water in the midday. Why? Because she couldn't go with the other women. She was shunned. She was hated by culture. She was a pariah. She had to go in the middle of the day when it was hot, when no one was there, so she could have some peace and nobody would harass her about her past and about her present. And she had to make sure she didn't run into the woman whose husband she had. I mean, literally, that's what's going on. I mean, she's leaving her house. like, oh, I've got to make sure I don't run into his wife. Leaving his house, I want to run into his wife because it's not her husband. But Jesus went to the barrier of sin and dealt with it. He wanted her to face it. You know, when you, when you try to housebreak a, 
uh, a puppy, try to get it to not mess in the house. You know, one of the uh, ways that I've, and I've house broke several puppies over the years, uh, when they mess in the house, you take them and you show it to them. No, you get them to get close to it and you want them to see it and you want them to understand this is, this is wrong. This doesn't go here. Uh, this doesn't go in the middle of uh, uh, our bed. That goes outside. Uh, it doesn't go in the kitchen floor. It goes outside. No, no. Then you take them outside and you try to reinforce. Not here. It's out here. Jesus brought her to it. Not only the barrier of sin, but also there was the barrier of race. You know, we, we talk about racism today, and it's very, very much alive and well, but can I tell you, it's, it's not a new thing in our culture in our day. Racism has existed in some form or another since hard, hardcore since the Tower of Babel. And there's a reason that the disciples didn't want to go to Samaria. They were racist. Let's just be honest about it. Let's just call it what it is. It was hardcore racism. I, I didn't grow up around racism. I grew up in the South, but I didn't grow up in Miss Lois in an area that was a, a racist area. And you know why it wasn't racist? Because there was nobody there that didn't look like me. I, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a reason I didn't grow up around racism, because there's nobody to be racist against. And then I left there and I went to Chicago. You know what I found in Chicago? Hardcore racism. Ugly, ugly racism. Then I came to Canada. I thought, praise God, I'm away from racism. Came to Canada. You know what I found? Racism worse than I ever saw in Chicago. And that, another, another message, another story, but it, very real. Racism is very real today. It was very real in Jesus' day. And yet Jesus went past that barrier. She said, why would you talk to me? <laughs> You're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? You don't know how many times in Chicago they'd say, hey, what are you talking to me for? You're a white guy. Hey, I, I hear it in Edmonton. Why do you talk to me? But Jesus went past the barrier of race. We've got to get past it. We've got to realize that every person needs the gospel. Our Lord was a Jew. She was a Gentile, but Jesus gave the gospel to her. Can I tell you that we've, we've got to meet those same barriers Jesus met when it comes to sharing the gospel? Not only that, the barrier of sex. Jesus, here, here, here he is, a man talking to a woman. And culturally in the day, the disciples went, what? Why is he talking to a woman? But it was a barrier. It was a cultural barrier. It wasn't Jesus did nothing sinful, but understand it was very much a cultural barrier that Jesus had to broach here, sharing the gospel with the woman at the well. And then, in verse 20, I want you to look here with me. And this is the, one of the biggest barriers that we face today in sharing the gospel. Our fathers worship, verse 20, in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Can I tell you, Jesus had to face the barrier of religion the barrier of religion. She said, oh, no, I, I, I go to this church. I mean, really, that was the same answer we get today. No, no, I, I know you're a Jew and you believe in Jerusalem. That's okay for you, but I, I, I worship here in this mountain. And most of the time, oh, okay, that's fine. That's our answer. But Jesus said, woman, <laughs> that's not what's important here. The time's going to come when you can't worship either place. 
But he overcame the barrier of religion. He went past that barrier of religion. Number nine, Jesus provoked inquiry and created soul hunger. I believe we ought to share the gospel, but I think sometimes we forget that if someone has no interest in the gospel and they have no interest to continue to try to talk with someone when there's absolutely zero interest, they have no desire to receive it. If there's no conviction, there's going to be no conversion. Oh, yeah, you may get someone that will listen to you because, oh, yeah, just, just tell me something to leave. I don't want to hear you. I don't care. But understand, Jesus here got her to be hungry. Verses 10 through 13, Jesus said, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence house thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us his will, and drank whereof himself, and the children his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water. He captured her interest. She listened. She, she paid attention. We, we go to share the gospel with folks that are bound in sin. And we tell them, hey, the gospel's the key. The gospel's the key to set you free. We share the gospel with folks that are burdened and hurting and fearful. And we have the gospel that is peace and comfort. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the answer to the world's problem. We have those who are scared about death, and we can share with them the one who is the life. But Jesus gave that soul hunger. Number 10, quickly as a couple, and we'll close here. Jesus didn't blame or scold her, but he made her face up to her sin. By the way, he was God. He could do that. He could say, hey, you sinned against me. He did. He was, he was God. But he did make her face up to it. We need to be convicted. A lost person needs to understand that they're lost because they are sinners. It's not, oh, okay, I'll, I'll wear a Jesus jersey. So it's a matter of I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I'm lost. And I need a Savior because I am bound for hell. I'm under the condemnation of God. Every person without Christ. You know, someone who's out in the water swimming, if you throw them a life preserver, hey, take life preserver, you're drowning. No, I'm not. Would you leave me alone already? I'm swimming. I don't, I don't need a life preserver. I'm fine. Someone has to get lost before they can get saved. And Jesus got her to confront her sin. Uh, got her to face up to it. Uh, I, I look in John 4 and I see how tender, how firm, and how persistent Jesus was. Let me give you a statement. Don't miss this. I'm going to give you two points real quick. I promise we'll close in just a moment. A statement that I want you to get. We cannot convict people of sin. Christian, you cannot convict people of sin. Pastor, you can't convict someone of sin. But the Holy Spirit can. And can I tell you what the Holy Spirit will use? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
He'll use the word of God. I can't convict someone of sin, but the Holy Spirit can by the word of God. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Number 11, Jesus spoke of that which alone could meet her need. She needed eternal life. Verse 14, but I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In verse 22, we see salvation. You worship, you know not what? Uh, we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus said, let me tell you about eternal life, and let me tell you about salvation. In other words, she needed him as her Savior. When you talk to folks about the gospel, always keep running to eternal life and salvation. Lots of rabbit trails the devil will try to distract, but keep running to eternal life and salvation. That's where Jesus brought this lady. Lastly, in verse, verse 25 and 26, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Number 12, he concluded only when he was able to fully reveal himself as Savior and Lord. Christian, you and I, as we share Christ with folks, should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, oh, now you get it. Now you know what you need. And then Jesus said, I'm the one you're looking for. When we bring folks to an understanding of their need for a Savior, I praise God, I don't have to say, well, I hope he comes. Hope one day there's a Savior. I can open the word of God and say, he's coming. Skip down to verse 40 through 42. I'm going to close with these few verses. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, now why did they come? Because the woman's testimony. They besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we've heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Christian, there are people that you share the gospel with who will not believe because you share the gospel with them. But that doesn't mean we don't share the gospel. There have been times that I've gone to share the gospel with someone and somebody else has, has witnessed to them and talked to them for years. And they get saved. Understand, our job is to plant the seed. Our job is to water. God's the one that gives the increase. But Jesus Christ, our, our wonderful Savior, and our example in soul winning, took her all the way to the place where he could reveal himself as Savior. And may we reveal Jesus to a lost world. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Lord, as we close our service tonight, as we think about this wonderful passage, as we think of this woman who was gloriously saved and used powerfully as a testimony in the city of Samaria. Oh, Lord, how much I wish I knew the rest of the story of all you did, your grace in this woman's life. Lord, what a testimony of your goodness and your love. Lord, I don't know the rest of the story for her, but I know the rest of the story for many other people. 
And Lord, I know the rest of the story from my life and how your grace and your goodness is there. Lord, may we realize that we live in a world that desperately needs the gospel. Lord, help us not to try to blaze our own trail, find our own way. But Lord, would you help us to follow your steps? Help us to seek to witness as you witnessed. Help us to seek to minister to the hurting hearts as you ministered to hurting hearts. And help us to reveal you to a lost world. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with